0: Welcome to the Confident Eaters Podcast, where you get proven methods to end overeating, emotional eating, and stressing about food. We're heading for harmony between your body, food, and feelings. Hosted by me, Georgie Fear, and my team at Confident Eaters. Thanks everybody for joining us today for another Confident Eaters podcast. I am Georgie Fear and with me today is my co-coach Ariel Faulkner. Ariel, I got to apologize. Last couple episodes I just dove right into the topic because I was so excited and I have this post-it note scribbled on my desk that is like, let people get to know Ariel. So, tell them some more about your wonderful self and how you and I ended up doing this together. Georgie, well,
1: I am a registered dietitian. I've been working with clients for about 20 years now. And I have definitely shifted in my approach in the way I do my work. And my inspiration was actually reading your book. And a plug again, give yourself more. <laughs>
0: <Get> <laughs> I feel like, sometimes I feel like these are romance <laughs> stories. Like, okay, tell us how you met.
1: <laughs> well, they kind of are because... After reading your book, it was so inspiring for me that I went to your website because I knew something was missing in the way I was working with people, even if they were getting results, I still wasn't feeling like fulfilled in what I was providing. And I knew it was because the missing piece was working on the emotional component and the relationship with food, not just, you know, the outcome or the process or trying to figure out for my clients, what's going to work for them. Um, because you know, the truth is we can't figure out for people what's gonna work for them. We can be there as their guide and we can support them, but we all have the answers within and what's gonna work for us. And so I really work with women and the relationship with food. And I do work with men as well, not just women, but I would say the majority of my clients are women and really shifting that relationship with food, which ultimately gets them to the point where. They are living in a body they love without white knuckling it, without struggling. And so that's
0: that's the ultimate goal. So that's that's who I am. I think our careers have taken a a lot of a similar trajectory where maybe when we start, we're doing more stuff focused on macros and numbers and you know, you're hitting Mm -hmm. a calculator several times an hour, but now we're sort of moved away from those sort of themes, not to knock anybody that still does that. It's just some people feel drawn in other directions. And I think it feels really good to talk more about like why people are struggling with what they're eating and helping them get to that underlying layer. So instead of talking with people about what they want to change, we help clarify why they're doing other stuff. And that does inevitably help them change a lot more successfully. But thank you for introducing yourself. Where do you live? I live in Sarasota, Florida. (sighs) enjoying the warmth so no I'm not no (laughs) (laughs) No,
1: it's too hot right now
0: (laughs) and of course I'm up here in Canada and I'm like oh my god it's 80 degrees Fahrenheit I can't take it
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's hilarious yeah I think it was you know normal 95 and humid here today and it's pretty oppressive right now it's not it's not fun I'm not a hot hot weather person don't ask me why I live here that's another story for another time
0: So, today we want to talk with everybody about something most of you probably have in your house, and that is the scale. Maybe it's in your bathroom, maybe it's in your bedroom, but getting on a scale and checking our body weight is a daily routine for a large proportion of the population. I think somewhere around a third of people check it every day, and another third check it about periodically, perhaps once a week or less. And then there's also a sizable chunk of people who are like, heck no. I don't want to get on that thing. And maybe they only find out their weight once a year, or twice a year at the doctor. And I've also had a number of people who say that they don't want to know their weight. So they request to not face the number or have it said to them when they go to the doctor. So much emotion can get involved in the simple act of assessing our gravitational pull. What is your relationship with scale and body weight, Ariel. Is it where it was five, 10 years ago, or is this also a sort of thing that changed over time?
1: This is definitely something that's changed over time, but I will say clients are often shocked when I say I don't own a scale and I don't weigh myself. And I, Thought that I wanted to go down the route of trying to break this scale anxiety. This was probably about a year ago, but I never did. I never did have the courage, which was a blessing in disguise. The only reason I know my weight, I'm I'm in that third category. You go to the doctor, you get know, on the scale, and then you're like, oh, okay, that's what I weigh, And that's about it. But the reason I don't on a scale is because when I was in elementary school, I can't believe that did this to us, but I grew up in a really small town in Pennsylvania and they would line us all up in the, you know, the PE area and they would weigh us in front of everyone and they would announce loudly our weight. And so everybody heard it. And I was heavy like I was I
0: can't even imagine than- a purpose behind that like okay, I, so yeah, if right. somebody has to say it to someone else who's like writing it on their clipboard <laughs> fine like okay but like like going out of your way to announce it what could possibly be the benefit <laughs> it's like a, like prize fighters like you're getting into the ring like and at 87 pounds we've got second <laughs> grader. <laughs>
1: So it was like on top of stuff going on at home, on top of you know all of these other. There's so much context and and nuance that goes into that. Maybe other children won't have that effect, but for me, it was really painful, and it really created a, a really toxic relationship with the scale. So I have never been a daily weigher, and I've actually never been a weigher outside of getting weighed at the doctor's. Even when I had the most dysfunctional relationship with food, and I was the hardest on myself. I never assessed my progress or where I was with my scale weight because it just created so much anxiety. I only went by kind of looking in the mirror, seeing how my clothes fit, but I was not, I've never been a regular scale person. And it's, it's something that I don't Desire to do in the future, and I don't see the point of even knowing what I weigh if I'm eating and moving in a way that I'm really loving, and my clothes are fitting good. That I don't care what that number says.
0: So you have other life aspirations? Yes, I do. Okay,
1: yeah. I mean, when I introduce myself, I'm like, "Hi, I'm Ariel. I'm a 100 and uh, uh, pounds." No, I don't do that. But you know, you know. I mean, you would think we do with as much emphasis as we put on the scale. You'd think we all walk around with T-shirts going. This is my weight, just like it happened in when right. I was in elementary school, you know? Yeah. And and I really, I really carried a lot of shame around my weight until I got older and I had a DEXA scan done. And when I had the DEXA scan done, it was really cool because I saw it underneath, right? Inside the body, and you get your muscle and your bone density and all of that. Well, that people
0: who was- don't know what a DEXA scan is, a DEXA scan is dual energy x-ray absorptometry which is a fancy way of saying it uses x-rays to get a peek under your skin and look at how much of your body mass is actually bone versus organs versus fat tissue versus muscle tissue. So it gives you a lot more information than simply hopping on the bathroom scale.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And what I learned from that scan was that I have a very high lean body mass, meaning like naturally, just genetically, I have a higher lean mass. And so I'm going to weigh about 10% more than another woman, my height, just because of the amount of natural lean mass I carry. And so understanding that was really empowering. Cause I'm like, Oh, nothing's wrong with me. Like for me to try to achieve 120 pounds, I would look like a concentration camp victim, you know? Yeah. And yet that's completely, if you looked on a chart, that's in the healthy weight range for my height. In fact, I think the low end is 115. And How I was, I'm five, five and a half.
0: Oh, we're five, the same height. Okay.
1: Are we? Oh, that's yeah. so funny. And so there was a point in my most disordered days in my twenties, when I was running seven miles a day and restricting everything that I was weighed at the doctor and I was 117 and I was dying inside. Yeah. <laughs> So if I'm going to my progress on scale weight, I sure as hell don't want that life back. Yeah, I can tell absolutely.
0: You that. absolutely. <laughs> but that's what happens when we live and die by the scale. You know, maybe we mm-hmm. hit air quotes PRs in terms of getting our body weight low, but rarely would anyone look back at their life history and be like, those were the happiest days of my life. Like I never <laughs> hear that, right? You never hear that. Like light does not equal happy. And that's probably one of the Bullet points that we want to put on this episode is like lower body weight does not equal higher happiness.
1: And I also think the problem with focusing on the scale as the outcome is if the process you're doing is something that is not sustainable and isn't something coming from a place of kindness and self care and a relationship with your body, then whatever number that ends up being is not sustainable. And if you do sustain it, it's from a place of fear and anxiety and struggle, yeah. which is not a place we want to live.
0: So true. hundred percent. I think it's, it's also fascinating to notice that. So you had a very disordered relationship with food and exercise, and we're striving to get your body to as thin as possible. And yet you did not have that sort of compulsive get on the scale multiple times a day or every day sort of pattern. And it's important to remember that people who have disordered eating are suffering from their relationship with food, don't necessarily have to be in one particular body shape, and they will not all have an obsession with the scale. So we want to make sure that we don't jump to conclusions there. One of the points that I think is important to make on today's topic is that we never want to generalize that the scale is good for everyone or bad for everyone because there is so much personal variation. And so if you, for example, feel like getting on the scale regularly helps you stay aware of the choices that you're making for your body, and it doesn't cause you undue stress, it might be hard to understand how for other people getting on the scale causes severe distress and anxiety. And for other people, it could be serving a harmful role in their life. So It's important, I think, as practitioners to notice that some of our clients may be fine with using weight as a measure of their progress. And for a lot of our other clients, it's absolutely not going to be the best thing for them. And so we want to choose something else. And so for people listening at home, there's a lot of things that can be taken into consideration to help decide whether getting on the scale is actually something that you want to do on a regular basis Or if it's not, and then there's some other things you can do to measure progress toward your goals.
1: Absolutely, Georgie. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that's what makes us so unique in this entire industry is we are not about protocols and we're about really listening to our clients and helping them uncover what they resonate with. And there is no right or wrong. I had an unhealthy relationship with the scale because of what I went through as a child that doesn't, you know, somebody gets on the scale and there's no emotion. It's just a number. It's just a data point. Well, that's a very different relationship because there's no emotional attachment to that outcome. But when there's been a strong emotional attachment to that outcome, that's when it can turn into a really negative way of measuring your progress.
0: Correct. I agree. And if somebody says, "Well, look at the research, getting on the scale regularly is a form of self-monitoring that helps people maintain their weight loss after they've lost it. Or getting on the scale every day as part of a weight loss intervention helps people get better results. It it makes me cringe a little bit because I'm thinking you may not be looking at the exact right population that you want to be comparing yourself to. And many times those studies exclude anybody that's had a history of eating disorder. So it may not be The right population to look at for you.
1: And I think to that note as well, when they're looking at those research studies, to me, success is not when you are white knuckling your process and keeping yourself controlled by a daily weigh in a lot of people who have lost a lot of weight and done diet programs and the people they do research on. Yeah. They may have achieved their goal, those successful losers, but their way, their only way of maintaining that because it wasn't an internal locus of control. It was external is to get on the scale. I personally think it's because they don't trust themselves and they don't trust. They can intuitively manage their weight. They need something outside of themselves in order to, on track, so to
0: speak. So in that respect, it sounds a lot like the way people use calorie counting software. Exactly. You know, I don't know how to, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm making these decisions correctly. I want Mm -hmm. some confirmation.
1: Guilty, guilty (laughs) to promoting that. I am so sorry. Public service announcement (laughs) to all former clients that I ever gave calorie amounts to. I am so sorry.
0: But that's (laughs) what we learned in school, isn't it? right? It is, like it is. It is. Both of us, you know, growing up and deciding we wanted to go into nutrition at an early age, you go to your undergrad in nutritional science, and that's the sort of thing they teach you. They teach you a lot of biology, which is super beneficial, but when it comes to your later years and doing your dietetic internship, you're basically instructed that that is how it's done. Like that is the mm-hmm. recipe for helping people change their body weight is to assess the calorie intake, come up with a target and then help that person match their intake to that target. And it sounds great on paper. And again, if it works for somebody, perfect. You know, some people around there, we could say just eat less and they would go home, eat less and lose weight. The problem is those are very, very rare individuals. And so I think a deeper level of understanding of psychology and emotion is absolutely crucial for 99% of people out there to have a substantial change in their behaviors.
1: And Georgie, you told me a statistic one time when we were talking, what is the success rate with calorie counting and macro tracking and apps, just in case people are feeling a little learned helplessness or disappointed they couldn't stay on those programs?
0: It's abysmal. It's abysmal. Most people have heard the 95% of dieters regain weight, and that's pretty substantiated between a few different data sets it's above 90%. And then the question is really how long does it take for people to regain their weight? Some studies, Mm -hmm. virtually everybody regains it by three years. In the remainder, virtually everybody regains it by five years, but very few people are able to make a significant change and lose at least 5% of their body weight and keep it off for a long period of time. So even if it appears to be successful to use something like a calorie tracker app or trying to hit a calorie total, too often people say it was successful, but then I screwed up and gained the weight back. And it's like, Mm -hmm. no, 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 it wasn't successful because you shouldn't have to breathe properly to have it, you know, come in. If natural living is, if those results aren't lasting, it simply wasn't a permanent change. Mm -hmm. For many people, Mm -hmm. weight loss through calorie counting apps is something like a temporary tattoo or a semi-permanent hair color sort of washes out relatively quickly.
1: And I will I will throw in one caveat there because one thing I have seen is a few of my clients who have wanted to go that route. I make sure to do the emotional piece, the habit, the behavior piece, the education, so that we can transition away from it. But it's never going to be the tool or even the tool that I would initiate using. And then, in regards to the success rate, and I saw this over and over again, you know, 95 percent of people are not going to log consistently they're not going to count macros they're not going to micromanage everything they put in their mouth because they have they have life to live they have other things to do and it really can yeah, hopefully, <laughs> I mean, it really can steal the joy away from eating. And if it isn't taking energy, and they are not micromanaging, then they're most likely eating the same thing every day, because it's safe, and it's portioned, and they know what's in it. And they're not giving themselves the freedom and flexibility to listen to their internal wisdom of what their body really
0: wants and needs. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about using the scale as a tool to measure progress as we both have agreed. For some people, it's not a problem. They can get on the scale. They can use it as data to see if the current behaviors that they're doing are working. So for example, many of my clients get on the scale about once a week. And I tell people, try not to get on it every day. I'd prefer once a week or less frequently, but it is valuable numbers because we can use it to say, okay, so if Janie's Plan has been to include dessert four times a week. And so she's executing that four times a week and she's logging that. So we know it's not three or eight. Then we can look at her weight changes over a number of weeks and say, okay, so how is her body responding to this behavior of saying yes to dessert four times a week and saying no the rest of the time? For many people, that is a really helpful triangulation for finding out chiefly how many treats we can include or how much a change in exercise program may impact somebody's body weight. So in some senses, it can be helpful. However, I find even in clients that we do want to use the scale with, or that we are okay with using the scale with, there's other parameters that we absolutely want to take into account. Sort of like you wouldn't want to have a single outcome goal for too many projects in life. Most of us don't just want to be lighter. We also want to be Healthier, we want to have more energy, we want to feel more proud of our appearance. And none of those things are directly going to be the same as weight loss. So I said earlier that one of the oversimplifications that many people run into is thinking that a lower body weight is going to equal more happiness. And that's simply not the case. So, what other measures of progress have you found helpful, Arielle?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, for me, I sleep. You know, quality mm. sleep, bowel motility, gut health. You know, when people are highly stressed and not eating intuitively, they tend to have more IBS symptoms and issues with their GI, energy levels, overall improvement in mood.
0: How your clothes fit, like, right? Yeah. Feeling, quite a
1: lot. Absolutely. Feeling better in their clothes, increasing their performance if they go to the gym or they are involved in any kind of activity. There's just so many non-scale victories that we can look at. And when you are working with people and they're really focusing on these other aspects and falling in love with the process, building that self-care, the irony is that's when the scale actually starts
0: to move in the right direction. I see the same. I see for a lot of people, it's an ironic sort of trap that the harder they push single-mindedly toward losing pounds no matter what they have to do the Mm -hmm. more stubborn those pounds seem to be and when we ease up and we start focusing on let me just treat myself with a little more gentleness and let me look at what I feel like doing and being more flexible and free-handed in the activities I'm choosing the meals I'm choosing then one day they often turn around and they're like you know hands got looser Exactly. And sometimes experience can be really
1: dramatic. I would love to get give like a little client story for a few minutes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So one of my new clients who started with me has struggled with her weight her whole life. And she came to me at a pretty high weight. And the first our first session when we met, and she was a little shocked because I didn't give her calories, I didn't give her macros. I asked her to pay attention to her hunger. And keep a journal and note when she felt urges or cravings to eat outside of hunger, to have a large glass of water, see what was going on emotionally, practice a pause, and then see if she still wanted to eat. And so that was really, you know, the primary focus of that first week together. And she came back to me.
0: I was going to say, that's not an easy set of things to do either. Like for her, like I can appreciate the challenge that you're giving her there.
1: Oh, yeah. And as you know, Georgie, I followed up with you and said, "Uh Oh, did I do too much? Did I get too much? (laughs) I was a little concerned because the last thing you want a client to feel is like they failed. And she came back and she was just glowing. She dropped 10 pounds that week, 10 pounds, one week, never logged a calorie. And the best part about it was she was like, first of all, she said like, can't believe how good potatoes are. <laughs> she was cutting kind of starches because she was afraid they were gonna make her gain weight. And I had her incorporate quality starches in each of her meals. She couldn't believe how good she felt. And that also helped appease her cravings. But we just talked about other things. She's she's decided she's going to and you know get into some new hobbies and activities she hasn't been doing because she's been distracted with food and struggling with her weight. And yeah, that is hard. And that's what I think is so interesting. When you look at people will go on, you know, 1200 calorie diets and it, in some ways it's actually easier to do that than it is to stop and start to go, okay, am I eating when I'm hungry? Mm -hmm. And I stopping when I'm satisfied. I mean, I know that sounds really simple,
0: but it's so powerful. Yeah. I mean, it's tricky to do. We like clear things. We like if there was a gauge on our body that went from like empty to full and it was like, okay, stop eating now. Like a lot of us would buy that gauge or the app that we could look at because then we wouldn't Mm -hmm. have to do the more difficult job of actually feeling, okay, do have I eaten enough or am I unsatisfied? Like it requires Mm -hmm. a whole new level of awareness for this client that you're talking about. The measures of progress, aren't just the scale, but you're also looking at is she able to do something like stop and pause before eating or is she making impulsive decisions? I think that sort of difference in somebody's life, even though it doesn't fit nicely into a box really does change the quality of our life. If we could quantify, for example, how many times have you felt out of control of the decisions you are making versus how much of the time do you feel like you are making intentional decisions? those are the tricky things that programs and generalized weight loss tools often don't ask because it's way easier to be like, get on the scale. How much did you weigh?
1: Exactly. And I think of it as like the difference between a dictatorship and a democracy. Mm -hmm. It's like the way we work with people is a democracy. We're helping people really like get in tune with their bodies, connect with their bodies, find the way, the path that's going to work for them with our experience, our expertise, our knowledge um, from a clinical and from a relational or emotional eating standpoint. And when you're utilizing these programs or methods that are telling you what to do, well, what happens when they stop telling you what to do? And I see this all the time with clients they they don't know what to eat and and it literally erodes your self-trust with food and creates a dependency on another program or another diet and then it becomes just a circular pattern where you're running on a treadmill getting nowhere and then feeling more and more hopeless because you keep feeling like you're failing but it wasn't you it was the method
0: yeah yeah absolutely and it's it's so sad when people are using the scale as the be all end all highest judge of the land and feeling like I'm not getting anywhere when Mm -hmm. us who are witnessing this person and the changes they've made has seen them become more comfortable in speaking their mind. And we've seen them adopt new hobbies and spend more time with their kids. And they're telling us that they're not having the same experiences that brought them in. Like, finding that their clothes were too small every six months. And Mm -hmm. yet, if the scale is holding steady, so many people will feel defeated. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. I just haven't made any progress. And I want to say, you are so much happier and more whole and healthy as a person. And of Mm -hmm. course, the scale is going to go down. That's one of the things that happens when we just form healthy nutrition and activity habits. But so many people are just waiting on that scale to move because the very idea that they just feel better almost isn't good enough.
1: I think that's a lot of that is what we've been sold by diet culture. You know, this idea that when you do achieve this weight or this body composition or whatever it is that that you're really going to be happy and you're not, Yeah, it's just, that's not how it works.
0: Right. So maybe a good question for everyone listening to consider is what have I used my weight as a proxy for in my life. So speaking personally, I can tell you, I have used weight as a proxy for my value as a human being. I have definitely thought that it would be a direct route to more happiness. In fact, I can remember in high school when I was seeing a dietician and she said, why do you want to lose weight so badly? And I said, because I wanna be happier. I'm just so unhappy. And she said, well, there's a lot of 90 pound women crying in my office. And mm. it really struck me for a while. And I just sat there and thought about it and was like, yeah, I guess I could still be just as unhappy, even if I was thinner. But with my 17 year old logic, I thought, well, at least it'll be a step in the right direction.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you and me both.
0: But it's true. Like if you were to graph your happiness in various phases of your life and your weight, there may be some correlations, but they're certainly not going to be linearly correlated. Sometimes people's happiest times are when they're eating well, moving often, feeling proud of their accomplishments outside of fitness and having good relationships with other people. And so usually those times are not when people are hitting their highest weights, but they're often not when people are hitting their lowest weights at all. I think for Mm -hmm. many women or men who have had Decades and decades of trying to reduce their weight, kind of all the time, the lowest weight you've ever achieved is, in my opinion, probably 10 or 15 pounds below where most people feel they can comfortably be happy and maintain for the rest of their life. What's your thought on that?
1: I completely agree with you. And that's right in alignment with my experience. I mean, like I said earlier, I was 10 to 15 pounds lighter. i was at my lowest weight but i was also at my most disordered not only like with my body image but in all aspects of my health it was a really awful time when i think back and now it's like i can't believe i did that to myself or i thought that that was going to make me happy like i don't know what we have this obsession with like thinking that making, getting ourselves smaller and smaller and smaller is going to bring us this joy or this fulfillment. And it's, it's the opposite. It's when we start to actually change our relationship with ourselves to one of kindness and self-care. And that doesn't mean that you sit on the couch eating bonbons. I'm not talking about that kind of (laughs) kindness and self-care I'm talking about stopping with the war with yourself and starting to listen and tune in to your natural hunger, your natural satiety, because our body does have an intuitive wisdom. And I think we all have a unique weight that will never be found on a chart that our body is happiest and functions properly, and this is not a weight that you can define or find in a textbook. It's something you have to experiment with, but you don't experiment by focusing on that weight. You experiment by utilizing the behaviors, the habits, the lifestyle, changing relationship with food, reconnecting with your body, and then seeing where that weight ends up.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that approach. Thinking about your goal life and your goal behaviors. Mm-hmm. Now, I like to, frame my own body weight in the same sense that what do I want my body to weigh? Well, I want it to weigh what it weighs when I am the best athlete I can be when I'm eating, Mm -hmm. when I'm hungry, stopping when I'm full, eating delicious food, out having fun with people, not soothing my emotions with food. And my body's going to fall into some sort of pattern when we adopt healthy habits, our bodies fall into line and they find a nice place to be. For me, attaining a lower body weight has been, I can very clearly associate it with certain behaviors that Mm. if I wanted to reduce my weight to like the bare minimum that I could get by on, I would have to make sure I was hungry for a fair amount of time. Like for me, if I'm hungry for like 30-ish minutes before I eat, you know, I stay around this same body weight. But I know from more restrictive times in my life, that getting to a weight that's lower than my body is happy maintaining, it requires a lot more discomfort, something like being hungry for two hours before each time you eat. And let me tell you, that doesn't just mean being hungry for two hours, it also means being distractible for two hours, and it means stressing It means being less focused on my creative work. It means less present to the conversations I'm having with people. It means I'm much, much less capable as an athlete. I just don't have the gas in the tank to have as much endurance or to do as much volume as I do now. Like you can't do two workouts a day and feel good for them if you're really, really trying to run on the bare minimum energy intake. So for me, I've sort of felt out my healthy weight comes from these healthy behaviors, and I don't feel the need like you, Ariel. I don't feel the need to get on a scale super often to know that I'm doing those healthy behaviors. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think we'll probably touch more, dive more into this in another podcast, but I would love to ask you, Georgie, when you were in that place, how much of your time was consumed thinking about food? All of it. Yeah, Exactly.
0: I was a lousy friend. I was a lousy (laughs) teammate. I was a lousy partner. We all become self-centered when we're in a certain level of distress Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: restricting your food intake is a significant stressor. So Mm -hmm. it's not your fault. If that makes you really focus on yourself and your needs and your hunger and how you're gonna bite someone's hand off if they take one of your pretzels. Because that's what we all become when we are living in scarcity when it comes to
1: food. Absolutely. The other thing I'd like to say is that if you're a mom out there, because I would say Eva is one of my biggest inspirations and I never want her to struggle or be in this prison with her body like I was for most of my life. And it's, it's all about modeling, like you can say whatever you want as a mother, but you what what you're modeling is what is going to be ingrained in our children. And so if you want to stop this pattern in its tracks, and you don't want your daughter or your son to be caught in that prison of food fear and assessing their value and self esteem based on their appearance and how much they weigh, then you
0: have to be the example. That's such a great point yeah, we remember what we witness and see. Mm -hmm. And almost all of our clients, I'm sure you'll back me up on this, tell us about their mother's food obsessions and shaming themselves over what they've eaten and getting on the scale. And Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And even, even other things, Georgie, like sitting down to dinner and everybody's eating a full meal, but mom has half a chicken breast and a bite of broccoli. It's like, what's going on there. Or maybe she has a whole plate of broccoli and a bite of chicken breast. Right. I <laughs> Both of those are disordered. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yes. yes.
0: So we talked about how what we say to our children is not as important as what we're modeling, what we're doing. Yeah. We've mm-hmm. also talked about how lower body weight does not equal happier. And so what we do want to assess is how happy are we actually? And that's not something... Your coach or your bathroom scale or your pants can tell you. That's something you have to actually ask yourself. Am I getting happier for this effort? Is the work that I'm doing on my nutrition and fitness increasing my confidence, making me feel more joyful and energetic? By all means, if it is, then you are right on track. Keep doing stuff that makes you feel more alive. However, there's a point at which you may be trying to push yourself past your happy, healthy body weight. And you start to realize that this effort has now become exhausting for very little actual life improvement. So while it's tough to quantify, I think it is worthy of reflection to think about whether this project is making your life better or making your life tougher and more stressful. So lastly, before we wrap up, I think it's very important to say, well, if not the scale, what? Like, what do we track? What do we monitor? We mentioned sort of those soft concepts of how happy am I, how stressed am I, Mm -hmm. am I feeling in Mm -hmm. control of my food? We can also use some more quantifiable things like how are my clothes fitting? Do most of my clothes fit? We can also use, as you mentioned, athletic ability. Maybe you're able to run 5k faster than you were the year before, or you're able to bench press dumbbells that were heavier than they were before. Anything else come to mind, Ariel, when it comes to what can we replace the scale with if somebody's like, you know, this thing is really not making me happy.
1: I think we can replace it with our yearly checkup when we see our numbers improve, right? When we get our labs done and we see all our numbers improving due to our healthy
0: Right. Like blood glucose, cholesterol, all of those things can really be indicators of whether our life is going to be impacted by chronic disease which I think would be much more of a downer than having to buy a larger size pair of pants.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I also think just like the joy of eating and the joy of movement that gets lost in diet culture And I do believe that one of the reasons so few people take the steps to get healthier is because they're focusing on the wrong thing. And the act of losing weight and getting fit has been marketed as painful, a struggle. Again, it's more of a dictatorship. It's not working with your body. And what our message is and what we're teaching is that it's actually the complete opposite when you release the resistance and you step into that relationship with yourself and you eat in a way that's intuitive and the way that your body is communicating to you. And when you're moving in a way that you love and understand that this doesn't mean you have to go to a gym, there's lots of ways to move our bodies. I mean, I have a client who loves to dance to salsa because she's from Colombia, mm-hmm. and that's been her experience as her exercise and her movement. and I think that unfortunately, I don't know if this is a word, but fitness culture has done the same damage as diet culture, where we have this idea that things have to be so hard. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, is that the process of not only achieving your ideal health or body composition or weight outcome, whatever that be, and exercise and food can be A joyful experience.
0: Amen. And when it's joyful, we aren't in such a hurry, right? Exactly. It's it's the unpleasantness that makes us feel an urgent need to get it over with. Like, I want the fastest weight loss because I don't want to be doing it for the rest of my life because it's terrible. But if we're able to take out that strain and stress and anguish and just let it be an unfolding of really a pleasant process then I find we're all able to extend ourselves much more patience in reaching our goal.
1: Yeah, putting that kind of pressure on ourselves has definitely come from the industry. And I just like to throw in a little analogy for clients who still struggle with the patience. And this is a financial analogy because I think a lot of people can relate to money. If you were bankrupt and you started saving money, would you be a millionaire in a month?
0: No not unless you have like a tremendous income but no i wouldn't
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly we understand that building wealth and changing our habits with spending and saving for things that we want it is it is it hard do we have to practice restraint do we have to practice controlling you know impulse etc for the for the longer term um yeah but it does accrue over time and slowly builds. Imagine if you told yourself, I want to be a millionaire one day, but I have to do it in six months or I'm just going to give up.
0: Mm, right. I mean, that's so daunting because I wouldn't have faith that I could do it. So right from the get go, I'd be like, I don't know. This exactly. What do so demotivating. We,
1: it's so demotivating. And that's what this diet culture has done. It's demotivated people because it's put on these constraints and these timelines and these 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 programs that just... Further disconnect you. And what I would say to people is that please live to the pressure. You have the rest of your life to perfect this process in a way that's going to work for you. You don't need to put a timeline on it, you don't need to put that pressure on yourself. And you can change it to where it's a relationship of getting to know yourself instead of trying to control yourself.
0: Well said. What I can see in the analogy that you're using with finances is that so often people become fixated on the markers of progress. And whether that's Mm -hmm. the scale or you're using other things, you can can also become fixated on your pants fitting looser. It's not limited to the scale. But then Mm -hmm. that can distract us from the actual behaviors that are going to change our lives. So in the financial sense, that would be trying to put the credit card back in the wallet when we see something we want to buy and not buying it instantaneously, or choosing to do something that's slightly less expensive and save some money there. So the choices that we make day in and day out are what are actually going to change our lives. But how many of us in the weight loss sense of this metaphor are staring at the bank account every single day going, when is it going to change? When is it going to change? When is it going to change? And that just Mm -hmm. leads to impatience as opposed to focusing on actually succeeding at the behaviors.
1: Exactly, exactly. And that's the whole crux of the issue.
0: So we've covered so much stuff in this. Thank you so much for all of your thoughts, Arielle. I think this is gonna have a lot of benefit for people. For people listening at home, reconsider what you're doing with the scale. Is it helping you? If so, use it to your benefit. If it's not helping you, reach out if you need a hand. We can talk about what are some other progress indicators you can use As you move toward the life that you want to build, by all means, we are not talking about staying put in any sense. We're just talking about measuring your growth and improvement in ways that feel good to you. So Ariel, what do you think we should leave people with as their thought from this episode?
1: That losing weight is the least of what we are capable of and the least important outcome in our health journey.
0: I love that we are capable of so much more. Thank you for spending your time with us. I hope you found useful tips in today's episode that you can apply in real life. Please don't forget to hit five stars or leave us a review. We would love you forever. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.